0: This is the beginning of a verse by verse study through the book of Romans. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Okay, guys, welcome back. Uh, Like I mentioned a couple weeks back in the last podcast and the one before that as well, uh, I will be teaching Sunday sermons uh, every third week uh, at the Calvary Chapel that I attend. And because of that, I figured, well, hey, I'm going to take these sermons. And uh, I know that you guys really enjoyed the second Peter study that I did, as well as uh, the study in Galatians. And so now I'm going verse by verse through the book of Romans. And I think you guys are going to dig this. Yeah, these are Sunday morning messages. um, And this one is the introduction to the book of Romans. And we're going to cover verses 1 through 17 on this podcast. Uh, I had a lot of fun giving this message, as you guys are going to hear um, it was It was a good time, and uh, also, I guess the second one has been recorded. I apologize up front guys about the audio quality <laughs> every single time that I speak at a church. something goofy happens with the recordings. In fact, uh, I had my cell phone rigged up with a microphone. Um, as well as we have a camera at that church. The camera SD card was full, so we didn't get a video. Uh, my phone recorded, but it didn't record anything. I have 55 minutes of fuzzy static sounds. Uh, and then uh, we, at the last moment, uh, the sound guy came up with a different way to record audio, and uh, he did that for this teaching. But then unfortunately, it broke this teaching up into like, uh, I think it was like 75 parts. And so as you're listening to this, you're going to hear like little pops and crackle sounds every so often, anywhere from every five seconds to every two and a half minutes. That is um, the audio changing from one track to the next. And then I had to go through, uh, sorry about that sound, guys. I've got construction going on at my house. Um, I had to go through and splice all these tracks together. It was, it was pretty fun. And then I had to amplify them and then try to cut out as much of the background like sound as I could. And so this is what you get. Anyway guys, let's go ahead and jump in to this study on Romans. Uh, yeah, today we're gonna to be talking about the book of Romans. Thank you. If, if I was a superhero, I would be Captain Dehydrator. I'm always dehydrated. It's, it's that or pick the wrong line, man, because I'd be the, I'm i the guy that always picks the wrong supermarket line. It could be the, like one person in front of me, and I'll get there, and all of a sudden all the other lines start going, and I'm just stuck there. I, it's gotten to the point where I'm like, Danielle, you got to pick the line. I can't do it. Some kind of strange superpower of mine. But okay, so we're going to talk about the book of Romans. Amazing book. Uh, by far... One of my favorite books. I always, I always like to say, hey, this is one of my favorite books. But Romans really is like, it's up there for me. Um, and there's a lot of reasons. It is the most systematic, um, thorough presentation of the gospel and also what it means to be a Christian, how to live a Christian life, and it answers so many tough questions. And the reason why, you know, Romans is a little different than most of the other epistles. Uh, in fact, very different. Um, Usually, Paul will write to a church that is established. They've got their theological head screwed on somewhat, okay? And, and it's, it's an up-and-running church, and he'll write to them, and he'll deal with specific issues that is facing that earth, or uh, that church, sorry, strange sounds. Um, but Romans is a little bit different. Uh, Romans, they didn't have uh, a visit from any of the apostles. None of them were having all kinds of technical difficulties. That's okay. It, that's just this morning, right? Um, the Romans, they didn't have a visit from the apostles, okay? None of the big boys showed up yet, Okay, not, nor did they have any of the New Testament writings. Okay, so this is a church that was a little bit without direction. They had a bunch of missionaries coming in. Uh, as you might expect, there was probably some major conflicts in doctrine, okay? And this is Rome, of all places. This is not just any old town we're talking about the most important city at that time and as a little rabbit trail i'm so known for my rabbit trails rome the gospel could not have come at a better time in history than it did right then and at that place why do i say that well the roman empire had conquered the known world at that time right under augustus They had Pax Romana, right? Roman peace. They had peace in their time. And this Roman Empire spanned a big chunk of land, really big chunk of land. And because of that, now missionaries can travel far and wide all over the place. They don't have to worry about different laws of the land. They don't have to worry about robbers getting them on the road because the Roman military and their might has crushed all opposition. So they can go anywhere, right? Plus they got the roads. Everybody knows about, everybody's heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome, right? Well, the Romans were known for their roads. They built some pretty nice roads, right? And they connected all their towns and cities with these roads. And because of that, again, these missionaries could just go out. They could get it done. They could travel all these well-done roads and travel all over the place. And then there's one last thing, the language. Because the Roman Empire had conquered the whole area, they made Greek the language everybody spoke Greek so now the missionaries can just go out travel these roads they're safe pretty much protected by the military right and they could go anywhere and speak the language of that local area and get the gospel out so uh, Rome being that central city of that Roman Empire it, it was really important to Paul to get this message to the Romans now This uh, letter was written uh, around 55 to 58 AD. Paul was on his third missionary journey. He was in Corinth, and he really wanted to visit the Romans. He wanted to get there, but he had something he had to take care of first. He had to go all the way down to Jerusalem with this massive offering for the impoverished church there. So he had this thing he had to do. So what does he do? He's got to write this book of Romans. He's, that's kind of like his long-range bombing mission, you know, to soften the target before he gets troops on the ground over there, right? Okay, and so he writes this letter and he's dealing with big issues. This is a young church. They don't really understand salvation. They don't understand these big questions. And I'm going to venture to guess that there's a lot of things that are answered in this book that we here are not totally set straight on. Uh, for example, I'm going to venture to guess that almost everybody here at one point has had one of those moments where you did something really stupid, and you're like, uh, yeah, right? <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to speak for you guys because I've never done that, but you know, you've done something terribly sinful, and you're looking at yourself, and you're like, I don't, I don't even know if I'm saved. How does a saved person do that? You know? Okay, and I I knew better, and I still did that, and that kind of stuff. You know, it happens from day to day. It might be little stuff, it might be big stuff. We all are on our different part of this journey in our faith. If you have had those times, if you're in one of those times right now, this book is for you. Okay, those people that are looking around, they're like, man, so and so he does all this cool stuff for the Lord. I, I don't do nothing. I'm not even sure if I'm saved. Like, if you're dealing with that this book is for you. What are we supposed to be doing in our Christian walk? Like, as far as acts of service, maybe you've encountered some people who are more legalistic in nature, and they're like, you need to observe all of the Mos- the, the Mosaic law, all those laws that we find in the Torah, okay, that really do point towards Christ, but there, undoubtedly, there were uh, Jewish believers there in Rome that were saying, hey, We're happy for you Jew or your Gentile believers, but you need to start following the law, okay? If you've dealt with that, this book is for you. There's so much here that is covered, showing us what it means to be a Christian and how to walk that walk out. Amazing book. Uh, Paul also, he was the perfect man for the job. You'd almost think God's hand was involved with this because Paul was raised by two Jewish parents, Uh, He was taught under the scholar of scholars of that time, Gamaliel. This is the most notable scholar of that time. He was taught under him. So Paul, he was also of the uh, tribe of Benjamin, which gave him kind of a favored status amongst the Jews. Okay, so he was a very respectable Jew, okay? And then when he was traveling around before he got saved, he was doing all kinds of, you know, bad things for the cause of the Jews not necessarily for the cause of Christ he thought he was doing the right thing but he was a very respectable guy in their eyes not only that he was a, he was fully a roman citizen so because of these this strange set of traits that paul had he was able to go into just about any synagogue walk in there and they're like its is that paul you know and he'd walk in there and he would be able to just get up there and start teaching And they would listen. Now they might chase him out with sticks and stones by the time he was done, okay, because he was bringing something that a lot of them didn't want to hear. But he was able to get into a lot of sticky situations with his uh, particular set of traits. And he was also able to get himself out of a lot of sticky situations because of who he was, because he was uh, a Roman citizen, right? So he was able to get himself out of bad situations. So um, anyway, the book of Romans... Awesome book. We're going to get into it. It also talks about two big words some of you know, I'm sure, some of you are not terribly familiar with. Justification and sanctification. Now, if you don't know what these two words mean and how they differ, um, you can fall for a lot of what these cults out there teach. Okay, Every single cult out there gets these two words mixed up. And that is the foundation of their problem. And we're going to get into those two words today. And then as we continue on in this study, we're going to continue to look at those two words because I want to make sure everybody gets this. It's it's a big deal, okay? Justification versus sanctification. So um, all that to say, oh yeah, and it was written, I I told you it was written from 55 to 58 AD, right? That's one of the earliest books we have uh, that was written in the Bible, which is really cool. That's very significant. That was very close to the time of Christ, which means there's checks and balances in place. There were people present, no doubt, when this was read who had witnessed some of these events, who perhaps were there to hear some of Jesus' teachings. Perhaps they were there when Christ was on the cross. And some of them might have been there to see him after he'd rose from the grave. Okay, so there were checks and balances in place. This is not something that was legendary. That you know, maybe a hundred years after the event, some uh, wild-eyed Christians decided to build the story up and then have this book of Romans written, right? Okay. Also, textual critics. Uh, some of you guys that know me, I'm really into apologetics, defending the faith. Uh, textual critics like to get, go after the Bible and say, hey, for example, uh, the earliest manuscripts. And a manuscript is, you know, a, a writing that's actually dating back. Um, the earliest manuscripts we have are from 140 to 160 A.D. That's uh, over 100 years after the events. So surely some exaggerations, some legends crept into the text. Recently, they actually discovered a manuscript of Romans that is that dates back to 68 A.D. Yeah. Okay, that's within 10 years, that's within 10 years of Paul writing it. That's so close, you could almost smell Paul's cologne on the letter. You know what I mean? Or his B.O., I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's that close. That is awesome. So, anyway, um, a little bit about the outline. I really wanted to get this up on slides. That didn't happen, but next time I teach, mark my words. I will have slides showing you this outline, okay? Now I promise it. Now I have to carry through. Um, so Romans has a fairly logical progression of chapters, and once you get to see it on the screen, it's going to make a lot more sense. But uh, we're going to start out today with the introduction. Verses 1 through 17, Paul introduces the letter. He's got some greetings that he, uh, he goes ahead and gets through. Uh, he says a prayer. And he gives them his intent that he really wants to come and see them. There's a ton of nuggets in today's uh, first 17 verses, but he doesn't start launching into his argument and his full treatise on what it means to be a Christian and what that looks like until right at the end, right around verse 16, he starts going into it. You get a little taste, a little foreshadowing of where this is going to go. Okay? After that, starting in verse uh, 17 and going to about uh, chapter 3, verse 20, Paul gives us the bad news. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, He talks about the unfortunate topic of sin, okay, and he starts off by talking about us Gentiles, okay, okay? Bunch of wretched sinners that you guys are. <laughs> you know? And he, and he, and he really, I mean, he paints a picture of you have no hope. There is nothing you can do. You're doomed. Okay? You have sinned. You have offended a holy God. There's nothing you can do. And you can almost feel the Jews kind of straightening up, you know, as they're listening to this letter like, that's right. You get them, Paul. You know? And then, but then Paul changes gears and he starts addressing the Jews. The Jews, with all their law, with the, Mo, the laws of Moses, and they've lived their life exactly as the Torah prog- prescribes, the Torah being the first five books of the Bible, guys, in case some of you don't know. And they're trying their best to follow these laws. They've got their sacrifices. And then Paul breaks the bad news to them, too. Guys, you guys can't be saved. You, you, you are sinners, and you can't work your way to heaven. You're not, it's not going to happen. And then he finally ends it off with, guess what? The whole world is lost. There's no one good. No, not one. All fall short of the glory of God. Okay? And he finally gets through the bad news. And, you know, you're in a heap on the floor crying yourself. And uh, then he gets into the next section where it's just beautiful. It's just like, yeah! And he brings in Jesus into the picture. Okay? And And he for three chapters, talks about this concept of justification. Okay, so now we're going to get into that word, justification. One of the simplest ways to remember it, might be a little oversimplified, but one of the simplest ways to remember it is justified, as in just if I'd never sinned. Okay? Justification happens in an instant. The very moment that you trust in Christ and you say, God, I can't do this. I'm a sinner. There's no good works I can do that can impress you. There's nothing I can do to save myself. But there's this, there's Jesus who is fully God and fully man. He died on that cross in my place, taking the penalty that I deserve upon himself. The second you trust in him for your salvation, you are justified. What does that mean? That means that If you were to get justified today and then you walk out the front door and some car careens off the side of the road and takes you out, you're still saved. You've been justified. You were right before God. Does that mean you're cleaned up? No. You're still a mess. Okay? But I mean, look at the guy next to Christ on the cross. He was he was a terrible person. He was paying for his crimes. And he looks over at Christ and he's like, you know, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And, and Christ is like, you know, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, he was justified then, right there on the spot. Amen. I'm going to get charismatic and start running the aisle with a tambourine here in a minute. (laughs) Seriously. But, um, so that's justification. It happens at, at the very instant you're saved. That's not sanctification. Sanctification is that process by which God cleans you up, okay? And so Paul then goes into a section where he addresses sanctification. It doesn't happen instantly. You guys have issues, you know? And it is a process, a lifelong process that you go through where God puts his finger on a a sin or multiple plural sins, different things in your life that that are messed up, and he starts convicting you with these things. And you, suddenly you do it, and you don't feel right. Whoa, I, I'm not sure if I like that. And then all of a sudden, you start hating it. Oh, God, why did I do that? i got to stop that. And eventually God helps you purge that junk out of your life. It is a process that both the Holy Spirit and you are involved in. You cooperate in this process. Some people will say it's all God. Well, no, it's not all God, but God is definitely involved. You've got to do your part too. You know, you've got you to put some back work into it. And, it. and it's hard. It's hard. It's a lifelong process. Um, and, and you're not going to end this thing. You're n- I, bad news, guys. You're never, it's going to be comforting and bad news all at the same time. You will never reach sinless perfection in this life. We're going to all strive for it. Okay? But as far as our flesh is concerned, we're not going to get there in the flesh. It's not going to happen in this life, okay, before we are taken out of here one way or another, okay? So uh, we end that section on sanctification. Ooh, 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 ooh. There's so many good things in Romans. Okay, there's three types of people that are dealt with in the book of Romans. And I think... That, uh, everyone here will at least qualify as one of these groups to a certain extent or another. And, and these groups are, uh, corrected a little bit, you know? And, and I think I kind of fall into a little bit of all three, okay? In this section on sanctification, he deals with two of them, okay? I would, I would call these three groups the liberal Christian, the legalistic Christian, and the lazy Christian, okay? All right, <laughs> and so he deals with one group, the liberal Christian. This is the Christian that says, "Hey, I'm justified. All is good. I can do whatever I want," and you know, and they kind of live their life like the devil. You know what I'm saying? We all know Christians like that. Okay, and then, and sometimes we even fall into that trap a little bit, unfortunately. Then he deals with another group of Christians, the legalist. Those Christians that believe you must do everything. You must live in full obedience, you know, the holiness movement sometimes, okay? But they believe that a lot of times they believe that you must either observe all the Mosaic law to be saved, or you just must must walk in a very, very obedient path to be saved, okay? And there's people out there that fall into that camp as well. Is holiness wrong? No, no. We should be striving for it with everything we have, okay? But at the same time, our salvation is not dependent on it. And Paul makes that clear, and it's very comforting to see that. Praise God. He then goes into another section, chapters 9 through 11, where at this point, the Jews are listening, the Jews that are present, and they're, they're like, okay, so you Gentiles are saved by grace through faith alone. And I guess we are too, but... Now, God, what's up with us? We're your chosen people. We're the Jews. Like, did you, did you just totally forget about the covenant? And so for three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, Paul deals with Israel's past and their calling, their present, what's happening right now and how they're rejecting Christ, most of them, and then their future restoration. Really cool chapters. We'll, we'll definitely get into that like 10 years from now. Um, and then lastly, we get into uh, three chapters on service. What is, okay, so okay, so I'm a Christian. I'm saved by grace through faith alone. And I'm doing my best to walk in this process of sanctification. I'm trying to clean up my life. I'm trying to get my act together. And hey, I'm doing an all right job, but should I also be out there trying to do something for God? Something, anything. I mean, d- either get on the front line or help Make the bullets for the front line. You know what I'm saying? Get out there and do something. Shouldn't I be doing something? And so for three chapters, Paul gets into what is our Christian walk supposed to look like? How are we supposed to serve God? Where do we fit into this? How can we take part in the kingdom business of of leading souls to him? Amazing couple chapters. So, and of course, then he concludes the book. A whole lot of greetings that are Uh, thrown out there. He greets a ton of people. Here's a rabbit trail for you guys. I'm I'm all about apologetics and looking at different movements. There's a movement out there, probably the biggest church in the world, uh, that teaches that uh, Peter was the one that found the church in Rome and also was their first pope. (laughs) Nowhere in these greetings, this is an argument from silence, I understand that, but nowhere in these greetings do you see Paul greet peter he's not even mentioned now if he was the supreme pontiff ruling and reigning from rome he would have been first on the list he would at least have been on the list but he's nowhere on the list nowhere on the list and that's because he'd never been there and no he wasn't a pope so anyway you can have that for free i apologize and we'll keep going all right so a long time into the uh teaching here. We're finally going to crack our Bibles. Everybody open up to the book of Romans chapter one. We're going to read the first uh, four verses and then talk about it. So <clears throat> Paul says, yeah, right? Who wrote this book? How do we know? Oh, it's the first thing that's written here. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, sorry, let me say that again, born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So he starts right off, Paul, a bondservant. And the Greek, that's doulos, and it can mean a willing slave. A lot of people like to say, you know, that he he willfully made himself a slave to God. More often than not, at that time, that word doulos doulos was uh, used to speak of an actual slave, like, I'm owned. I'm not even my own property. I'm owned by somebody else. I'm that other person's property. And most likely, that's what Paul's actually getting at. That he is owned of Christ, right? Which, which really shouldn't surprise us. I mean, we see the scripture in First Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 through 20. Paul says, "You're not your own. You were bought with a price, and then we have to glorify God in our bodies. Why? Because our bodies are a temple for the Holy Spirit." Makes sense. But Paul here he's saying, "I'm a slave to Christ. And he's not alone in making statements like that. Some big names in the Old Testament said very similar things. Moses claimed to be a slave of God. King David claimed to be a slave of God. Joshua, who conquered the promised land, said he was a slave of God. Most of the prophets at one time or another claimed to be a slave of God. Okay? So you got know, something to think about. You know, I, hopefully a lot of you guys are doing devotions. I wish I did them a lot more. <laughs> One your devotion should be just on that alone. What does that mean? What, is that real, what, what does that really look like in life, to be a slave of God? I'm not even my own. You know, we all selfishly want to do our own thing, and, and to, you know, to a certain extent, God, I mean, God allows that, but do you really consider yourself a slave of God? It's something to think about. Think on that. Um, also, I brought this up. Yesterday, during the uh, men's breakfast, uh, there's a little nugget there, something very subtle that Paul did. Did anybody catch it? He said, I'm a slave of Christ. All these other guys in the Old Testament, they said, I'm a slave of God. Okay, all the, you know, all the Jews that are listening to this, as somebody is reading Paul's epistle to the Romans, they probably didn't even finish that sentence, and these guys already had rocks in their hands. Why? Because Paul was making Christ equal with God the Father. This is kind of a veiled claim to deity right here, which is kind of neat. I really get a kick out of stuff like that. You know, Christ is shown to be God throughout the scriptures all over the place, loaded in the New Testament, and it's it's even in the Old Testament. Joe's doing this. Yeah, Joe has been witnessing to Jehovah's Witness for a while. They have their own translation of the Bible, the New World Translation. And... Um, When I read this, I instantly thought of Joe, and I was like, yeah, I bet you they, I bet they missed that. They go through the, they've they've gone through the Bible so many times and tried to sanitize, tried to neuter out Christ as much as they can. He can't be God. He can't be God. You know, and they try every way they can, and they keep missing stuff. And so I pull out my New World Translation, because I've got all kinds of different books that are, you know, reference works. Open it up, my 1984 revised edition, they missed it. I mean, and of course you'd miss it. Why, how would you catch that? But if you look at it through Jewish eyes, yeah, that's a claim to deity right there. So, anyway, Paul goes on. He claims he's separated unto the gospel, which I think is kind of fun to think about as well. You know, we're called to be separated unto the gospel. That's one of those things you just kind of, huh, separated unto the gospel? Yeah. I guess one way to illustrate it is, in marriage, you're separated unto your wife. In other words, You've been separated from all them other ladies, or men, in some of your cases. You know, you've been separated from all of that, and you are now to cleave to this one person. Paul is separated unto the gospel. It's one of those things that kind of, again, that would be a great uh, topic for one of your devotions some morning. What, what does it really mean to be separated unto the gospel? God, how do I live that out in my life? And then he says something else that's a little odd when you first read it. Um, he says, uh, if I can find it in my notes, uh, born of the seed of David according to the flesh. What does that mean? Well, already the Jews are still holding that rock, about to huck it at him for calling himself a, bond, uh, a slave of Christ, right, making Christ equal with God. When he, he starts pointing at the Old Testament, hey, it was prophesied that Christ was to come from the line of David. Like, this is your prophesied Messiah, don't forget that. And by the way, he proved it by raising himself from the dead. And, of course, Paul, as soon as he gets done saying, you know, that... Uh, um, there we go again, I lost my notes. That uh, he was born in the seed of David according to the flesh. You know, he also said he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of, oh, yeah, spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So the prophecies say he's the Messiah... And the fact that he raised from the dead shows that he's the Messiah. Awesome. And so he goes on, verse 5, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To, To all of who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, by the way, you can have this one for free, 2B is not in the Greek. If you read it in your King James or your New King James, that's in italics, which means that's not actually there. We're called saints. At least these Romans were in context, but I think that applies to us, right? Called saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I... Uh, I work with a particular guy from time to time. One of uh, one of our customers comes into my office. He's, I've got to be so careful not to accidentally say his name because he might actually listen to this someday. He's a Christian. <laughs> He's got a reputation. <coughs> it's, it's known far and wide. He gets a little heated. Whatever you do, don't talk about politics around this guy. Okay, I mean, he'll... He'll turn bright red. His veins will start popping out. I mean, you're like, dude, you're going to have a heart attack. (laughs) Calm down. But uh, he's got this reputation. And then I've got another employee who's got a little bit of an off sense of humor. He's also a Christian. But he likes to walk up to this guy and light his fuse. Just, (laughs) he'll walk up, and I mean, he's just like, yo, so-and-so, I've been really thinking, I think I'm going to vote for Hillary this year. (laughs) And, you know, we'll be in a big group of people or something, and then, you know, he, he lit the fuse, and then he just walks away. <laughs> and, I mean, this, this guy is like... <laughs> you know, just, just explode on everybody. <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. But all that to say, he's got a reputation. People know him far and wide for this. It, it's kind of a running joke, okay? Love the guy, but he needs to calm down. Likewise, though... We as a church, even Calvary-Birthed, we got a reputation. We actually do. It's not known throughout the whole world, but I've heard it. I've heard it. One of those is uh, I've heard people say, you guys are like a family. You guys are like a really tight family, and you can feel the love here. That's cool, guys. That's cool. Hats off. That's awesome. Praise God. But my prayer is that we're known for a lot more than that, Right? These guys, their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, and you know the the known world. Okay, this little hyperbole that Paul's speaking of in here, but still, what's being said is these guys are known far and wide for their faith. That's awesome. So, challenge to us: What are we known for, corporately as a church, also individually? What What are you guys known for? Outbursts of anger or maybe lying, you know, impatience? Or what about things like love and, and uh, patience with other people? And do people know you're a Christian? Yikes, challenge. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? These are things we need to consider. This would also be a great devotion time. God, what, what am I known for? And uh, what do you want me to be known for? Because I'm not terribly sure if I'm measuring up just yet. Again, justified. We're all justified. Now we've got to work on the sanctification thing, right? And that's a great question, question to be asking. How am I seen by other people? God, how do you want me to be seen? I want to be a good representative for you. I want to be your ambassador. I want, I want to be that guy that when I walk in the room, people, they know. They know what I'm about They respect me. They might not agree with my message, but they respect me and they love me because I do come with love. You know? Awesome. So, yeah, amen. Start running the aisle. (laughs) So, all right, moving on to verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. And without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means... Now at last, I I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul really wanted to go to these guys. For for I long to see you that that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you might be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, <clears throat> just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me I am so as much as in me I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Famous line, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. Yeah. So Paul, he really wants to go to these guys. He wants to uh, visit them. He wants to have fruit among them. What does that mean? He wants, he wants to teach. He wants to love on. He wants to encourage. He wants to build them up. Paul is a pastor of pastors. He's got a heart for the people. And we, and we see that in his life. I mean, this is the guy that is more than willing to get stoned, beaten down, you know, imprisoned. And we, and we do know he eventually makes it to Rome, right? He does. As a prisoner. He does. Funny. You know, I... I started this teaching talking about all the ways that God has orchestrated this so that the gospel could get out this explosion of the word of God out into all the surrounding areas and Paul going to Rome in chains actually played a role in that because you know as we saw in uh, when when Jim did, did his last study in the book of Acts we see that Paul he was under it was kind of like house arrest he had his own home I don't know if it was nice or not but he wasn't behind bars He was in a house, but he was chained to a soldier. He was allowed to go out and minister. So check that out. I mean, he's chained to some guy. What Jew, what angry anybody is going to pick up a rock and throw it at him when there's a Roman guard right next to him? Like, I ain't touching this guy. So he's just sitting there seething and listening to his message. And just imagine how many people he got to witness to. The guards included, those poor guards. You know, could you imagine just being stuck to Paul all day? Oh, you know, <laughs> but you'd, you'd get so much. I, I gotta wonder if several of those guards got saved. In fact, I, I'm i almost sure of it. You got to think that a few of them trusted in Christ. Um, <clears throat> where was I going with this? All right, so he he really wants to visit them. And he, uh, <clears throat> he mentions he's a debtor both to Greeks and barbarians and barbarians. Barbarians are basically, it's kind of like when Jews call us Gentiles, barbarians are kind of that same version but for the Greeks. The barbarians are those who can't uh, speak Greek. So they're kind of like these, you know, it's kind of almost like a derogatory way of saying you're savage, you can't even speak Greek. But you know, it's it's maybe not that extreme, but Um, the barbarians and the Greeks, and then he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Man? that is so challenging i mean right now in america you know now more than ever it's shameful to be a christian you know we're we're intolerant and we're haters and we're bigots and people call us homophobes we love homosexuals we just just like any other sin we want them we want to bring them in we really don't hate them we're not afraid of them you know, but we're called of these names, and we're shamed. We're absolutely shamed to be a Christian. And then you look at somebody like Paul. This guy was beaten down multiple times, stoned, left for dead, uh, imprisoned. He really, I mean, that dude was fearless. Makes me feel like a pansy, you know? <laughs> I'm a <little> pansy Christian. <laughs> Hardcore, for real. He was not ashamed of the gospel. I, I pray that we all get there too. I, I'm, I guess I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but there are times when I am shamed from speaking the gospel, and and that and that's um, that's a dicey place to be, right? I'm ashamed to be shamed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we really shouldn't be. We should be out there fear fearlessly bringing this to the world. You know, it's it's kind of like. You know, somebody saved your life, you know, when you walked outside and that car was careening and then somebody knocked you out of the way, you'd be like, this person saved me. And you'd be so excited about it. And you wouldn't be afraid to say it to anybody. You'd be talking about it all the time. And yet, Christ saved us from eternal wrath that we deserve. We, we did it. We did all this junk and we keep doing stuff. We deserve it. Christ saved us from that. And we, we should be shouting it from the roof, rooftops, you know? Trying to proclaim it to everybody we know. Maybe not being obnoxious, okay? We've got to be tactful and loving about it, but we should be trying friends, family, people we work with, carry it out, you know, even perhaps uh, street time. That's kind of scary, but, you know, getting out there and trying to share on the street. Done it before. Terrifying, but awesome. So amazing. Okay? Mission work. Not the kind of mission work where you go and build a house somewhere in another country. But you go there and you bring the gospel. Now, I got a chance to with my dad. We went to China and we smuggled Bibles in. It was, it was awesome. The word of God. We got to bring it into China. And uh, we got to witness to all kinds of people on uh, the college campus. Yeah. So amazing to be able to take part in that. We should not be ashamed of the gospel, guys. We We did. Dad and I got caught on one of our smuggling runs. Good times. Well, you know, OK, little rabbit trail. I told the men's group yesterday that this was going to be two and a half hours. I hope you guys have time. But uh, no, we were, we were going through. And, and uh, I, was, I was one of the first ones, right? Yeah, I was one of the first ones. And we were instructed that if you hear the guards yelling at you, lower your head. Just keep walking as fast as you can and just hope that you can get out. Well, I I tried. You, 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 and you know, and they grabbed me and they physically brought me back and they threw my suitcase up on the counter and made it a big show and they're yelling at me. And uh, one of our, another one of our guys, John, nicknamed some young guy, uh, (laughs) he comes in, he starts coming in behind me and, you know, he was probably about 15, 20 people back, but he's coming in. I'm getting yelled at by three guys. But then two of the guys spot John and they're not, they just, they just knew it. They're like, here, here's another American. He's probably part of the group. So they're like, you, you, same thing. John just starts walking. Uh, but he made the mistake of trying to speak back to him in Chinese because he knew he was actually pretty good with Chinese. They just about tackled him. I mean, they, they went after him. So now I only had one guy on me because the two split off. And the one guy, it was, it was a very strange moment they had already pulled all of these study Bibles out of my suitcase. And he looks at me with a real stern look, and, and he grabs t- two in each hand, throws them back into the suitcase, and he goes, go, go, go. And it was like, yeah, wow. hair stand up. and <laughs> like, Okay, but we still got held in a little holding area. We were detained. My dad got busted. I was sitting back there in the detainment, detainment area, and then dad comes walking back. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> well, actually, I was pretty depressed that day. I was I was pretty down. And then the very next day, we had to go through the same checkpoint at the same time with the same guards, and expect to get through. And this time, we were under a time constraint because we had to get through. And we had one hour to get on a train that was going 39 miles north. West up to Chengdu, and we had to make that train. We had to, especially Dad and I, because we don't speak Chinese. That would have been really bad. So get up in the morning. It's like God. <sighs> okay, so the first day, I got to admit, there was a little bit of flesh going on. I got this, God. I totally got this. Second day, I was like God. No idea. We're gonna. We're so busted. We're so busted. If you don't do something about this, we're done. This time they're gonna cart us off. We're gonna be in a work camp for the rest of our life <laughs> digging holes, you know. And uh, we. Every last one of us walked through. Same. It was the same guards. The exact same guards. The same exact time. We just walked right on through. We uh, got on the train with all of our Bibles in tow and smuggled them up to Chengdu. It was awesome. It's just absolutely amazing. God's good. God is really good. There, there's a lesson in there, too. It's not in your flesh. It's not by your own power. It is by God's spirit. Everything, you know, when you do stuff like that, you don't got it. You don't have it. I, the first day I went through with my Superman shirt on. That's how I was just like, I, I. nuh The second day I was, I was humbled. felt pretty stupid. God, you got to get us through. And we were all pretty humbled about the thing. So, anyway, there's a rabbit trail. That's going to cost us another five minutes. But uh, <laughs> where were we? Okay, so don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And so he says, uh, let's see. Um, for it is the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, because naturally Paul always went to the synagogues first. To the Jew first, and then to the Gentile, or for the I'm sorry, for the Greek. <clears throat> for in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I'm stuttering here. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The 31st of this month, we're going to be celebrating, I don't know if Calvary Chapel is, we're celebrating the Protestant Reformation, the 500th year of Martin Luther going to that church in Wittenberg, Germany and slapping the 95 theses up there on the door, the thing that sparked that revival, and no question, guys, that was the greatest Christian revival since the book of Acts. The thing that sparked that was this one verse, the just shall live by faith, because at that time, everybody was under a Roman Catholic view of salvation that you had to observe all the sacraments and do all these things, Again, they confused justification and sanctification. Got them mixed. Okay? See what happens? And Luther's reading his Bible, and he sees that verse, and okay, what, what? And it started that thought process. Wait a minute. Have I been wrong this whole time? Have we been taught wrong? Is this really by faith alone, in Christ alone, this whole time? And that reformation started. And praise God for that. Yeah, yeah. So um, a little uh, question for you guys. Who here knows what prophet Paul is quoting from? Because the just shall live by faith. Yes, yes, exactly. You're dead on. Habakkuk 2.4 is where Paul is referencing. We got this prophet Habakkuk, Okay. Um, he is in a situation where the Babylonians are invading and he's crying out to God, God, why do you let the, the wicked prosper? Why do you let them win? Why are you letting your enemies triumph over us? Where, where are you at? What's going on here? And God responds to him. Um, he has a lot to say, but one of the things God says back to him is he says, though it tarries, wait for it, Ever hear somebody say "Wait for it"? That's what comes from. Just kidding. <laughs> Wait for it, <laughs> because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, I'm sorry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Okay. Proud people. What do they do? They trust in themselves. They trust in their own uh, accomplishments. I'm sufficient. I got this. Okay. But the just should live by faith. And Paul is referencing that. He's bringing it forward. You got all these Gentile believers and Jewish believers there in Rome. They've got all these questions. They don't know where to go. Do I need to observe the Mosaic law? Should, like the Muslims believe, should my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? You know, What about my service? I'm not doing anything for the Lord. I'm not even, I'm I'm like all these awesome Christians out there and I'm just kind of twiddling my thumbs and I'm not doing anything for the Lord. What am I doing? Am I even saved? And Paul starts his long argument that will make it through almost the entire book of Romans with this phrase, the just shall live by faith. All of the, the Jews that were present, their ears perk up. Wait a minute. Whoa, I, I think I get where he's going here. And, and he starts down this long road where he makes his case for justification versus sanctification and how a Christian is supposed to walk out their walk. Awesome. So, um, I guess in ending today, guys, what do we trust in? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are we trusting in our works? Do you think that your works can save you? They can't. They can't. Okay? For grace, you've been saved. By faith, it is not of works. Let me just read the verse, sorry. <laughs> Five, for by grace, you have been saved. I have this memorized, but sometimes my brain goes. <coughs> for by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Later on in this book, Romans chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 9, Paul, okay, so he's, he's, at this point, he's making his case to the Jews, and he's saying that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So guys, if if you're struggling with these questions, if this is an issue in your life, what am I doing? I'm a sinner. I'm a wretch. You're in good company. You know, Paul, he was even quoted in this book as saying, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will free me from this body of death? Okay, he gets it. He gets it. He isn't preaching your best life now. He understands he's a wretch. He knows he's a sinner, and we do too. That's a good place to be, to at least know where you stand, right? And to know this, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, We shall be saved from wrath through him. Let's pray, guys. Father, thank you so much for the justification that you have given us. You have declared us justified. We deserve your wrath, Lord, but you took it upon yourself. We thank you, Lord. We know we're sinners, we know we got issues. And we beg you, Lord, continue to sanctify us. Continue to show us where we're falling short and where we can change. Give us the strength to change. Help us to hate our sins. Uh, Lord, you know, we know you're not in the business of giving us good (laughs) self-esteem, but help us to change. Help us to renew our mind and walk after you in the way uh, that we are supposed to. We thank you, for the joy that comes and the peace that comes with knowing that we've been justified. You're so awesome. And guys, right now, while your head is still bowed, if there's anybody in here, we're not looking, if there's anybody in here today that does not know you, today's your day. Today is that day that you could be justified. You know you're, you've got issues. You know that. That's why you're here. Today is that day that all you have to do is simply call out to him and tell Christ, yes, admit it to him. I, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I know that you died on that cross. You took the penalty that I actually deserve. You took that upon yourself. You paid for it yourself. Trust in him today. Today is that day. You pray something like this. Oh, Lord, I have sinned against you. I know that I cannot save myself, please save me. I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in what you did on that cross. It's as simple as that. And you can start this process of sanctification today, but today you can know that you've been saved. And with our, hearts bow- or with our heads bowed, is there anybody here that prayed that today? Well, Father, thank you. Also, Lord, there's probably so many people here today that do have sins in their life those secret sins, those things that make them feel embarrassed to pray to you sometimes, those things that make them feel shame to even look to the sky. God, we thank you for that justification. We pray that you would continue to lovingly, gracefully work with us, mold us, renew us, shape us into the people you want us to be. We do love you. We do fall short. We thank you for this process of sanctification. Make us hate these sins and give us the strength to overcome. Guys, if anybody here needs some prayer after the service, you know, come talk to me. Come talk to uh, Russ, who did the announcements. Uh, talk to Greg. Uh, we'll be camping out up here pray with any of you that uh, would like to have prayer. Father, thank you. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. it out loud yeah.